We're part of a great ministry, and that ministry loves Jesus, plain and simple. And we long to see our cities and our world and our communities truly transformed by them. And so you'll see people that don't look like you here. People whose skin looks different than you. People whose age looks different than you. People whose hair looks different than you. Because Jesus isn't just for one kind of person. He's for everyone. And we believe that we can come together and worship him under one roof. And that that, in our city, and in our country right now, is something we believe that God has ordained upon us as a church and as a ministry. That's one of the things we value here. And so with that, ladies and gentlemen, happy Easter. I've got this, you know, I've got this other microphone now hanging. I, I, I don't even know what to do. I'm, I've, got like, I've got double whammy up here uh, with microphones. Let's do this. Uh, Easter is, is special for a lot of reasons. Um, I was laughing with somebody just this week. I don't know if this story is true, but I'm going to believe that it is. As a, a Sunday school teacher was teaching a group of four-year-olds, and she said, what, what's today? And one of the little girls in class said, it's Easter. And the teacher clapped her hands and said, that's so great. What is special about Easter? And she said, well, it's the day that Jesus rose from the grave and stepped out of the tomb. And before the teacher could even uh, applaud her any further, she said, but if he sees his shadow, he has to go back in for seven weeks. Yes, has to be a true story. That's got to be in the Bible, is it not? Okay, that's not in the Bible, I promise you. That is something that one of my four-year-olds my four would say something just like that. But here's the deal. Sunday, Easter Sunday, there's a reason it's special. Not just 2,000 years later like today, but think of 2,000 years ago, the very first Easter Sunday. How unbelievable that moment must have been. And the reason that Easter would have been so special, it would have been so spectacular, it would have been so jaw-dropping and breathtaking is because the previous days, Friday and Saturday, had been so unbelievably bad. And just a recap of the events, Friday Jesus is arrested. His disciples and those who have pledged their love to him, they follow him, they're doing everything for him. They've left, they've scattered, they're hiding. Jesus is arrested, he's, he stood before the great high priest and the council, the religious hierarchy of the day. And without going into all the details, he's convicted, although innocent. He's convicted and sentenced to the death of a criminal. And by Friday mid-afternoon, Jesus is hanging from a cross. There are clouds that are literally filling the sky, and earthquakes are beginning to shake the earth. The disciples are scared to death because... Lo and behold, if they get marked as one of his followers, chances are they're going to end up on a cross as well. And so Friday, people would have been huddling. It would have been one of the adrenaline shocks. If you've ever, if you've ever been in shock before, 
If you've ever been in an accident before or a very tragic moment, you know what that's like when you see or have experienced somebody who's in shock and you have adrenaline actually coursing through your body and all you're doing in this moment is just trying to protect yourself, to stay alive. But then Saturday comes and the shock of Jesus, Lord, Savior, having died on a cross, is now beginning to settle in. The reality that everything that they've given is in vain. You see, the Pharisees and the teachers of the day were were thrilled that Jesus had died. The enemies of Jesus, the enemies of Christ... We're rejoicing because finally Jesus was out of the picture. Finally, the masses would no longer be would no longer be following him. Finally, the miracles would come to an end. Finally, all of the things that had made Jesus Jesus would be over. And you know what? They weren't worried about. They weren't even mildly worried about Jesus actually rising from the grave. What they were worried about were his pesky little disciples. And so in Matthew 27, it's where we pick up the text. This is what the writer Matthew says. It says, the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go. Make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. The truth is, the Pharisees had nothing to fear at this point in time because the disciples were planning no coup. They were protecting their lives. The disciples were in absolute meltdown mode. You see, Friday, it had no courage. Friday, courage was left. Courage was abandoned in the garden where Jesus was arrested. Friday was a day void of courage. And Saturday was a day void of hope. And so the Pharisees are planning, they're trying to make sure the disciples aren't, aren't taking care of business, that they're not going to kidnap Jesus' body, but I have news for you. We have the benefit of reading Scripture. They were doing no such thing. They were in utter despair. They were in utter fear. Because after all, Friday had robbed them of courage. And Saturday had taken all of their hope. See, Jesus had died. And I want you to do something this morning. As we imagine Easter, I want you to imagine being in that room with the disciples for a moment. 
I want you to imagine Saturday morning. You haven't slept all night. Most of you are huddled in a room together. The doors are locked, scriptures tell us. Why? Because they're afraid. And you're coming to grips now really and truly for the first time that Jesus is dead. Some of them and some of you, you wouldn't have been able to even think beyond tying your shoes. You wouldn't have even gotten that far. But those of you that are planners and those that think ahead, you would have begun to, to, to taste the despair and the panic of, what do I do? What's next? You would have begun to grieve for your friend and your master. You would have grieved in tremendous despair that you would have never seen what you have just seen. You, it would be gone. The miracles would be gone. The ministry would be gone. You're not planning the next place to go to preach. You're not working on your preaching skills. You're not working on how to pray for folks or any of the things that they've been working on before. All that's gone because Jesus is dead. I want you to think about the sounds you'd hear in that room. If you've never been around somebody who's lost a loved one, someone that they hold dear, there are sounds that you, that you hear that you sometimes wish you couldn't. The sounds of somebody closing a door and trying to hold back a sob. I want you to imagine the grief, the hopelessness, the despair, and the fear that would have gripped that room. Just the sound of agonized crying. It's a difficult picture. But in order for us to appreciate the beauty of this moment, I want you to do the work of inserting yourself into this situation. See, Friday had no courage. Saturday had no hope. Dot, dot, dot. And then Sunday came. You've got these men hiding in a room, and this is what takes place. John chapter 20. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked still for the fear of the Jews, the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. There is a room that is filled with despair, a room filled with grief, a room filled with the, the absolute antithesis of this word behind me. There's no hope. There's nothing left for them but a cross if they unlock the door and step outside. And Jesus, in all of his miraculous resurrected form, just appears in the room. <laughs> now, I don't know what you would have done, 
But I would have done one of those, those moves like that everybody does in a horror movie when something frightening takes place and everybody just backs up with speed. Like, whoa, what is going on? This is Jesus. But I don't, I don't really know. I don't understand the implications of this. I saw him die. He was arrested. And now he's standing in this room. I'm still scared. But now I'm scared for a whole different host of reasons. And John 20 says that when Jesus says, peace be with you, the disciples are filled with joy. All except one. Because there's one disciple who isn't there. There's one disciple that couldn't bring himself to be with the rest of everybody else. We don't know what he was doing, and we don't know why he was there. But we know he wasn't. He was not present. And if you understand people that are grieving and people that are afraid, some people need to do it by themselves. And some people just like to, like to get in a room by themselves or go hide by themselves or have a moment by themselves. And Thomas, he's mentioned very little in Scripture. But this is his shining moment. He's the one who's not in the room when Jesus appears. He's dealing with this someplace else. But here's what we're going to do. Rather than me just describing it, I have a short little video that I want to play, an Easter video, that's going to help bring a little clarity to this moment around Thomas. You can go ahead and roll it. My name is Thomas, and I struggle with doubt. I followed Jesus for years. From the very first day he called me, I saw things so amazing they defied explanation. I believed. But then things fell apart. I witnessed the betrayal that led to the cruel march to Calvary and his agonizing crucifixion. I survived, but everyone I knew scattered. My world collapsed. Then came news of the empty tomb, the very first Easter. But I resisted. The image of his broken, lifeless body was still burned into my memory. I experienced his death that I couldn't believe. Not until I see the scars with my own eyes and touch them with my own hands, I told the others. I wasn't ready to put my trust in something again. But Jesus came to me. He knew my doubts. He even named them. But he wasn't angry. He didn't rebuke me or dismiss me. He looked at me with those familiar eyes and offered me his scarred hands inside. In that moment, I experienced his resurrection and I believed. I know firsthand it's difficult to believe in what you can't see. And yet all around you are people whose lives and stories have scars that bear witness to the meaning of Easter. Yes, these people have been wounded, 
but they've experienced redemption and healing through Jesus. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection were meant to rescue the doubters, the debtors, and the broken. People like you and me. He met my doubts with grace and love. And he only asked one thing of me. Believe. John 20, 24 through 30 says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. See, Thomas, he just couldn't bring himself to believe. In other words, Jesus had appeared to the 11. Friday had no courage and Saturday had no hope. And all of the sudden Sunday comes and Jesus, the defeater of death, the conqueror of sin, appears in a room that's filled and gripped with fear and hopelessness. And he brings the antidote. Peace. The resurrection. The everlasting life. But there's one who isn't there. And his name is Thomas. And because he wasn't there to see with his very own eyes, we see Thomas still living like it's Friday and still living like it's Saturday. While everyone else is living in the joy of the resurrection, Thomas is still living with the pain and the despair and the hopelessness of the cross and his death. And as I was reading the text and preparing for Easter, I began to think about the times that you and I, where all of us do the exact same thing, where the joy of the resurrection and the power of the resurrection, it should change our lives and it should make us new and it should fill us with hope, but oftentimes we still live like it's Friday. We still live like it's Saturday, but Sunday's come. And Jesus has stepped out of the tomb. Let me give you an example to this. I, I, let's see, about 13 years ago now, Amy and I were dating at the time. I remember the day after Thanksgiving, I'd left my house, gave my parents a big hug, and drove a couple hours to Grayville, Illinois, where Amy was celebrating Thanksgiving with her family and her, par- her grandparents. And I was going to pick her up, and I was going to bring her back to St. Louis, because after all, we were still dating. I was trying to get her to, you know, get to know my folks and my family, and, you know, Thanksgiving's a good time for that. And we were playing cards, dominoes as a matter of fact, at a, uh, at a card table in her grandparents' kitchen. Remember it? It's clear as day. 
And my phone started ringing. And I ignored it, and it started ringing, and I ignored it, and it started ringing again. So you know that feeling you get when your phone just rings incessantly and it's the same person calling you and you can clearly tell there's something that they have to tell you. And you're gripped with that moment of knowing, I, I, I better take this. So I answered the phone to discover that my father had had a heart attack. I had just left him hours before. And it was serious. I needed to get in the car. And I needed to head to the hospital. So before I, I, I did anything, I started walking outside and just praying, Jesus, I'm not ready for this. Please don't take my dad. I can't imagine life beyond this. And so I got in the car, and Amy went with me, and we began to drive to St. Louis. But before I got the car, even a few miles down the road, I got, I got the call. that My father hadn't made it. That he had died of a heart attack. And the day after Thanksgiving, I drove to the hospital, and those moments are emblazoned in your memory. They're emblazoned in your mind. You don't forget these kinds of things. And I remember the the emergency room doors parting and walking in. I remember seeing friends and family and people crying. I remember going into the, the room where my father was laid, and I just sat there, and I had a moment by myself where I cried and I wept and I dealt with fear and anxiety and despair and hopelessness. And there comes a point at times, and everyone will have it, where you ask yourself, will I ever be me again? Will I ever be, will I ever laugh again? Will I ever feel joy again? The grief had just set in for the disciples, but I can promise you on Saturday, they're beginning to feel the impact of Jesus' death, the one who had been so close to them, closer, the Bible says, than a brother. And so you begin to imagine, will will I ever feel joy? Will I ever smile? Will I ever feel, will I ever this again? And hopelessness, it just grips you. And the hope of the resurrection, the hope that there is more, the hope that Jesus Christ is the conqueror of death, if you're not careful, it will escape you. And you'll miss it. But I want you to hear this, that even when you are struggling to believe, even when you have your doubts, even when your doubts are in Jesus Christ, his very self, Jesus believes in us even when we do not believe in him. Even in the midst of your doubt and in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your hardship, Jesus knows exactly what you need. John 20, 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again. An entire week has passed. 
Thomas missed the first moment with Jesus, and he just cannot bring himself to have faith. He cannot bring himself to move beyond the doubt. He cannot imagine a sunnier day. And the truth is, church, many of you have experienced this, where the reason you just can't believe, the reason you don't want to put your faith is because you simply don't want to be hurt again. And so that's Thomas. And here we find ourselves in the scriptures. It's a week later and Thomas is with them this time. Though the doors were still locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You have been waiting. You're sticking it out with these friends of yours who are all saying that they've seen something that you have not seen. You're in despair. You're hopeless. You're fearful. And Jesus appears again out of poof, thin air in the middle of a room. And rather than addressing everybody, he comes straight to you, straight to Thomas. Imagine being him for a moment. The risen Lord, in many ways, appeared in that room for one person, Thomas. And he came over to him. And then he recounted the very words that Thomas had said. Here are the holes. Here's my spear-pierced side. I'm bringing you exactly what you need so that you will believe, so that you will have faith, and so that you will have hope. I imagine that a pin could have been heard around the world dropping in that moment. Jesus appears, looks straight at Thomas. And Thomas's only response, the only response that he could get out of his mouth is my Lord and my God. Thomas, the one who's famed for doubting, yet who wouldn't? is the very first disciple, the very first follower of Jesus to put the two together and call Jesus his God and his Lord. He's the very first. We see this powerful exchange and it reminds us that in our moments of hopelessness that the resurrection of Jesus, it brings hope. Because even in our darkest days, there's another day coming. There is a moment where Jesus Christ, the defeater of death, the conqueror of sin, is returning. And as bad as things might get at times, the resurrection reminds us that another day is coming. 
that Jesus is returning, that he is victorious. The resurrection is a proclamation that there is a new sheriff in town, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's the king of a new kingdom, and his rule extends beyond even death itself. But his resurrection is a reminder to people like me, to people like you, to the doubters, the debtors, and to the defeated that Jesus Christ has not given up on you. His resurrection is a reminder that that which is impossible, Jesus makes possible. That that which is lost, Jesus makes found. That which is broken, Jesus makes whole. Jesus takes that which is hopeless, and all of a sudden we are able to experience hope, the power of the resurrection. It's an amazing thing. Peter writes it like this. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friday had no courage. Saturday had no hope. But Sunday is here. So believe, put your doubts aside, and be filled with the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, some of us are living like it's still Friday. We're living like it's Saturday, but we need the hope of the gospel to penetrate us. And I believe that this today, this Easter Sunday, is a moment for you, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of Jesus, to stop doubting and to trust him, to trust him again. To trust him for the very first time. Psalm 35 says, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Isaiah says that your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of sorrow will end. The resurrection means that we have strength for today and that we have hope for tomorrow. Friday was robbed of courage. Saturday was stolen of its hope. But Sunday is here. Jesus Christ has stepped out of the grave, the defeater of death, the conqueror of sin. If he can make the impossible possible, what can he not do? That is the beauty of Easter Sunday. Is that all things are made new and the impossible is made possible. Your darkest day can be turned to light. Oh, it might look dark outside for some of you right now, but how close are you to the light of day? At 5 a.m. or at 4 a.m. versus midnight. 
See, the resurrection reminds us that we have a returning Savior full of grace and power and strength. And while it's easy to doubt at times, Jesus meets us right where we are, right where you need him, so that you can stop doubting, that you can be filled with hope, so that you can believe. That is the beauty of Easter. Sorrows are turned to joy. Fear is turned to peace. Brokenness is turned to wholeness. Lost is turned to found. The impossible is made possible. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you took our place on the cross, that you bared the weight, you bore the weight of our sin. And died for us. God, you took our punishment. You were our substitute. But because you were perfect, because you lived a perfect life, it could not hold you down. You emerged victorious on the third day. The stone was rolled away from the tomb. And you stepped out, the conquering, victorious, king of kings and the prince of peace. And Jesus, we thank you that it didn't just end there because you went and you sought after those who were having a difficult time believing. God, a difficult time with with trusting you. And Lord, there are times where that is us. We have a difficult time putting our faith in you, trusting you. We live in doubts, God. Not just for who you are, but what you're capable of doing in our own lives, Lord. We believe in the resurrection. But we struggle to believe that it has any significance for us today. We're like Thomas, struggling to believe. And Lord, I thank you that Easter Sunday reminds us that you came not only for those who were in debt of their sin, not only those who were broken, not only those who were, who were dead to rights in their own sin, but you came for those who were struggling to believe. God, those who were struggling to trust. And I thank you that you're doing nothing less right now. I believe this morning as you're here this Easter, some of you are here and what you need more than anything else is to have a moment with Jesus, just like Thomas did, where you're able to put your faith in him. Some of you feel that knocking on your heart. You feel the Holy Spirit 
I'm pressing upon you to believe, to begin putting your doubts aside and to put your trust in him. If any of you are feeling that and sensing that and know that the God of heaven and earth is drawing you to put your faith in him and to put your doubts aside, but to believe this Easter, I want you to pray with me right now. Say, Jesus, my Lord and my God. Today I choose to believe. Thank you for making yourself known to me, revealing yourself to me, and drawing me into relationship with you. Thank you for coming after me. I choose to follow you today as my Lord and my God. If you're sitting here today and you're not doubting whether Jesus actually rose from the grave, but you're doubting that his power is enough to move and make impact in your life. Some of you, you wonder how Jesus in this resurrection can have any significance in your marriage. How can it have, make any change for your literal natural body? Your job, your relationships, your children, your parenting, want you to hear by the Spirit of God. I believe Jesus Christ this Easter is beckoning us to put aside our doubts and to trust Him fully. And let His resurrection power move in every area of your life. If that's where you are this morning, say, Jesus, I thank you that you've come after me. Thank you for knocking on the door of my heart. Today, I put aside my doubts. And I thank you for your resurrection power at work in my life. Thank you for it working in my relationships. Thank you for working in my marriage. Thank you for working in my children. Thank you for working in my job. Thank you for working in my life. I choose not to live in doubt anymore, but today I choose to believe my Lord and my God. In the name of Jesus.